Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. This week's show is brought to you by Southern Seed and Feed. Do you want to provide better nutrients to your deer? If so, try Southern Buck Food Plot Blends. Your deer will love it. At Southern Seed and Feed, they specialize in making textured feed for horses, cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, chickens, small animals, and wildlife. Their products are proven irresistible, scientifically formulated to promote excellent herd health and hunter satisfaction. They supply products to various distributors throughout the South. So visit their website at southernseedfeed.com or call 662-726-2638 to find the dealer nearest you. And also brought to you by the Hunter's Mate Lowdown Trail Cam Reviewer. Finally, a trail cam viewer that actually works. Lowdown's high-speed trail cam viewer has flipping fast technology that allows you to view images three times faster on a screen that is 60% bigger than typical 7-inch viewers. Lowdown is a dedicated viewer slash photo manager made for one thing and one thing only. Fast, uncomplicated viewing of your trail cam images and videos. Lowdown makes viewing large numbers of images fast and easy. It allows you to easily delete individuals or groups of selected images. Find out more at lowdownviewer.com. I'm your host, Joe Baya, here today with my co-host, Clint Flowers and Butch Theory. Guys, today's show is going to be all about getting water. For me, I don't know. I, I, I would put water almost above power, you know, because I can get a generator in there and do things, but you got to have fresh water, man. I mean... You die very quickly without it. It is so vital and so many things that we want to do as, as habitat managers, as hunters. I mean, you know, if you don't have good water in, you got to get it in somehow. I mean, you just can't, can't do it without it. So that means hauling water. But uh, once you get out there and you're on your property and you really start to do some work, you start doing things like filling herbicide tanks and spraying off equipment and wanting to have a nice shower at the end of the day, I think it becomes evident pretty quickly that you're going to want to have a way to get a lot of water whenever you want it. I, I have done the Holland water thing and it's a chore. And I've also yeah. dealt with bad wells and that's no fun either. Yeah. We've done cisterns and all kind of stuff. And you, you left out the most important demanding part of all of that. And that's your spouse, right. yeah. you know, oh, yeah. the wife's up there and she can't take a shower or cook, clean, whatever she wants to do easily. And, and with good water, uh, you're going to be in trouble. Well, yep, not just going to be in fact. trouble. She, she, or she's not going to they, come. They're just not coming back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Got to have, got to have lots of water. I think we're all so used to it too, just on demand as much as we want. You start asking them to take Navy baths and, you know, <laughs> conserve water that, that usually doesn't end in well for anybody so yeah sponge bass aren't as romantic as they sound <laughs> <laughs> well today we're going to learn everything you need to be asking yourself and asking a well driller if you're about to have a well drilled on your property and to do that today we've got heath davis joining us from davis well company heath first off tell everybody a little bit about the areas you cover and a little bit about your history with uh with drilling wells hey thanks for having me guys Yes, yeah, so we've been in business as Davis Well Company since 1993. My dad has been drilling wells since the late 60s, early 70s. And I've got family that's been in the well drilling business 20s, 30s. I mean, so wow. well drilling is, is, you know, in me and has been in me for in our family for a long time. We're out of right outside of Phoenix City, Alabama. We handle mostly Russell County, Lee County. We are licensed in Georgia. 
and we drill in, you know, a good bit in Georgia, probably half and half Georgia and Alabama, you know, Skogee County, um, Cedar, a lot of different areas right around, you know, basically a 50, 60 mile radius of Columbus, Georgia is what we handle. And, um, you know, we'll go off here and there, but for the most part, that's our, our main area. And, and well drilling is mainly like that. Most guys have a territory that they cover and you, you get too far out of that, that territory and, uh, you know, your money's not nearly as good. So, you know, yep. everybody tries to, you know, just, just manage a, a territory and, and it does better that way. You know, speaking of that territory, like, I would imagine that there's geological information that you are, you know, getting used to in an area. Does that change a lot, you know, as you, as you branch out? I mean, is that some of the things that, that people really need to think about or need to be prepared with that information? If they're calling somebody thinking about uh, moving forward with the well, what, what information do they need to be prepared to give somebody like you if they say, Hey, look, I need to drill well on my property. And that's all about all I know at this point. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, that, that's one of the reasons why you handle a territory because you become familiar with the area and what's under the ground in the area. I mean, I get calls a lot of times where people wants me to go off and, you know, I'm not real sure what's in that area. So, I mean, you know, you have to go and do some exploratory stuff. And if anytime you do that, the price goes up, obviously. So you kind of stay with, you know, with, within your means, what you know and uh you know somebody calling first of all we're going to ask where you're located because more than likely we've already drilled right down the road or we drilled your neighbor's well or you know that sort of thing so that's why it's important to stay within what you know and you you know become good at what you know of course i've gone off and i've drilled wells in different areas and you know it's a hole in the ground no matter what you do but i mean what's under the ground you know it's better that you know what you're dealing with and that way you're more efficient gotcha so you know geographical geological things are, are going to be very important and that's one reason to maybe reach out to somebody locally at least in the region that you're in what about usage needs though that's something that i think about you know the whole this series that we're on is on building a cabin you know and i think about our cabin that we're going to build you know we're going to be up there probably three weekends a month during the, you know, during hunting season and the months around hunting season. And then summer times, maybe, maybe up there once a month, you know, for a few days. And there may be times where we uh, spend a week at a time or even two weeks at a time up there, but this is not going to be a full-time residence. And then we also have people that are building and drilling wells on, on pieces of land that they are going to live on full-time. So when you start to think about usage needs, does that change the kind of well that you would want to install and, and drill? And sometimes, I mean, you know, you're going to find out what a person's needs are and what they're going to use it for. A lot of times people think that they're not going to use as much water as they are, but I'm, you know, I'm only going to be here one week or two weeks a month, but I plan on having a garden, you know, and I'm going to tend that garden. Well, obviously you need more water for irrigation in a garden than you do flushing a toilet and, you know, taking a shower. So, you know, we got to find out what the needs are. And sometimes it makes a difference. Sometimes it doesn't. You know, I have people call me and they say, hey, I just want to, you know, just a little shallow well. I'm just going to be, you know, doing a garden or, or this. And I'm not going to be drinking it. So they think that just because they're not going to drink the water, that it doesn't have to be as deep or whatever. But that really doesn't have any effect on it. You have to go where the water's at, no matter what you're using it for. Just the concept is I just need a shallow well just to do this. You actually need more for certain things, and you don't really realize that. Yeah, like yeah. a hunt camp, you're going to be spraying off the skin and shed. You're going to be spraying off your tractors and showers, and I, I think you're right. herbicide you, tanks. And, you use a lot mm -hmm. more water than you think you'll use. I'm sure you run into that a lot. Uh, typically, on a hunting camp, a lot of times it's not the amount of water that you use; it's how much water you use 
in a in a short period of time. I mean, you may have like six or seven guys that are staying the weekend or whatever. Well, they get through hunting, they all come in. They all want to jump in the shower at the same time. Well, if you don't have enough water to provide six or seven guys a shower in say an RV or a, you know whatever you've got set up, it, it makes it hard. So you have to provide enough of water when it's needed. Well, that's a that's a great uh, segue into the next kind of topic here. What affects that? Like what affects your water pressure? Is that going to do you install a bigger pump or what kind of makes those factors better? Well, you, you would have to have a bigger pump if you know that you're going to need, you know, on-demand water at certain times. Still, you have to go with what the well makes. I mean, some wells make more water than others. And a lot of times we'll do certain things, you know, we'll take in water at certain levels or whatever. And sometimes we have to use different levels to get enough water to do what's what's needed i mean to run this certain pump that's going to be required to give these guys water when they need it you know butch is talking about the pump and i want to take you back to what you're talking about with you know folks come to you saying hey i'm thinking about doing a shallow i want to do a shallow well because i don't need very much that kind of thing so maybe take us through what the different types of wells are and then really if there's one type you recommend or is it on a case-by-case basis depending on what people are trying to do well i mean there's different kind of wells i mean years ago when you know they had small home places, they, you know, hand dig wells. And we go out and we still work on hand dig wells, you know, dug wells that are done, that had been done 50, 60, 70 years ago. And there are some still in operation, not very sanitary, but, you know, 70, 80 years ago, they didn't, you know, they was just worried about the water. And, and then there come along, there's board wells, which were done with a machine. It's basically a hand dug well that's just done with a machine. And it's usually a large well that, cement curbing comes out of the ground and a lot of people are familiar with that they you know well my granddad had a well and it's a curbing coming up out of the ground as far as i know there's not anybody in my area or in alabama georgia local area that that still does those they're still you know they can still be done but nobody really does them anymore we deal we drill deep drilled wells and that's basically 100 foot or deeper according to where it's at you know, anything north of my area is, is the Piedmont, which is going to be, it's going to be drilled in a rock formation. And anything south of my area is going to be done in a sand unconsolidated formation, which is basically sand and gravel and that sort of thing that's this on top of the rock. There are rock streaks that you, you drill through, but that's the difference in my area, what we call a sand well or a rock well. And, and I do both. I'm one of the few, you know, drillers that do both. Usually, you know, most well drillers, they concentrate on their, you know, they Either they're a rock driller or either they're a sand driller, but like I said, our area requires both. Gotcha. Yes, sir. Up at uh, up at our place in Dallas County, we had a well for probably about 20 years, and some of the things that we ran into was, you know, that sulfur smell. Um, it seemed like the water pressure was never good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, it was hard; it could hardly get the soap off of you, and we ruined like several ice makers, I guess, because all the sediment that was in the, in that well. Um, what are some things to combat some of those problems? Well, I mean, all all, all wells is going to have usually some problems. I mean, very few times you're going to come up with perfect water. We, we put in filters uh, to do certain things to, you know, to combat the sediment. In our area, sediment is one of the big things that people have a lot of problem with. There are iron problems and in and, and very few times there's, there's sulfur problems, but we've got things that will fix most of these problems. It's just, just identifying what the problems are and then fixing those problems according to, you know, what the money situation is and how much people want to spend on doing that because it is quite expensive to, to filter water. But that And usually what you see is the ones we see the most 
in our area, the sand, charcoal, and let's say the Clorox filter. Are those your kind of three standards? Or well, we we you know we basically on a sediment issue, we'll put in what we call a Lakos filter. It's it's a, a spin out filter. Basically, you open it up and it blows the stuff out that it has collected over a period of time. They're okay. You know, we've got a, a, another level of filter. This is a self-backwashing filter. It does everything by itself, but it is extremely expensive. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people that opt for that because they, you know, they don't really want to have to fool with the filter because anything you have to deal with is just more that you have to deal with. More work. Yeah. Exactly. And what is, when you say really expensive, I mean, what is, what is that in this context? Uh, well, a lot of the filters and the, you know, the stuff that takes out iron and that sort of thing. I mean, you're, you're dealing with a, you know, anywhere from a, you know, a 2000 to 3,500 and I have put in some that, you know, 4,500 which yeah. takes care of extreme problems. But, you know, a lot of times the, you know, filter is going to cost at least half as much or if not more than, than a well cost. So, wow. you know, and I tell people all the time, I say, Hey, you know, you've got this problem, but is it bad enough to spend three thousand dollars to fix? <laughs> right. And, and, and most of the time, it's not. Yeah. But there is certain occasions where they say, "Hey, go ahead and do it. I want my water right." Or you know, my wife, my wife wants my water right, and and uh, you know, it's, always, go it's always them. Just always yeah. mess it up. You know. Well, right. you know, I think I think Butch. You know, for Butch, it's mostly just he can't get that shampoo out of his hair, and he likes to look nice when he goes out to the deer stand. You know, so that, that really hey, does bother. Gotta him. have them curls shining, bro. <laughs> <Curls> <laughs> Fortunately, I don't have that problem. So <laughs> well, Heath, you know, take let's go back to flow rate. That is, I've I've been up to Butch's place, and you know, that's one of the issues. Is not only could you not get the soap off of you, but it wasn't hardly enough water coming out to matter anyway. It seemed like, and when you've got that low flow issue, is that an issue with the pump, the size of the pump, or is it an issue with the well or the depth of the well? I mean, what what are the different things that might cause low water pressure and you know, is that something that's addressed at the well drilling stage or the components that actually move the water? Sometimes both. I mean, you know, there are certain areas in my area. I know when people call them, they say, hey, I want a well. And I say, where are you located? And they tell me. And I'm like, uh, that's that's not the best place to drill one. And I let them know up front because I've drilled in that area before. And I know what to deal with. You know, there's going to be stuff to deal with. And, um, you know, it just doesn't make a lot of water in that area. Sometimes it's okay, and sometimes they say, hey, I don't need a, bit, a little bit of water, or, you know, sometimes they say, well, that's not going to work for me. But it's better to be up front about what you know about the certain areas and how much water they, they are. Um, sometimes it is a pump issue or a, a component issue. Um, we go out a lot of times to, to jobs to do service jobs, and they don't have a lot of pressure. There's something wrong. And then, you know, they, they'll tell me, hey, I used to have good pressure. It's just not like it used to be. And, and that could be a, a worn out pump or that could be, uh, you know, some kind of some kind of issue. Typically, once you have it, you always have it it's, it, unless there is a mechanical issue. And, and as age gets on anything mechanical, it's going to have to be replaced. A lot of times putting the, the pipe that runs from the, the well to the house or wherever, that's the problem. A lot of times people try to use too small a pipe to run too long a distances and they don't have water to be, you know, there's, there's not enough volume at the end, no matter what. So it's always better to use bigger pipe, but we run across that a lot of times and uh, contractors will come in behind us and, you know, put pipe to the house and it's just not big enough. And they, you know, there's complaints there. Gotcha. You know, and, and kind of thinking along the same lines, I mean, talking about pumps, is there, is there a 
a given type of pump that's best, you know, or is that another case by case situation? Are there different types of pumps and what should somebody really know about, you know, kind of questions they need to ask themselves of maybe if there are different types of pumps, which one was going to be best for their situation? Well, we um, pretty much use submersible pumps, you know, pumps that are put down in the well. Uh, we work on a lot of pumps that are above ground and typically above ground pumps going to have a lot more issues and a lot more maintenance than a submersible pump. I mean, my, my suggestion is submersible because it's going to be less maintenance for a homeowner. And that's what I try to do. I try when I'm, when I go out, I want to give you something that's not going to give you a lot of problems because you're going to tell your neighbor and his neighbor, Hey, I, you know, you don't want a well or because, you know, they're just something all the time. I want right. something that's going to work all the time and work for years. And that way you're more satisfied with what you got. So, so in that case, the submersible is the best, best option in my opinion. Uh, that definitely makes sense. And uh, it seems like that something that stuck out to me that you just said was the pipe from the well to the house. That definitely makes sense. If you don't have that volume, you're going to have some issues. And that seems like an easy fix if you're having that problem. From start to finish, how long are we talking about once we decide we know we need a well, we call you, you come out. What kind of time frame are we looking out for there? Well, I mean, we, we're always behind, but especially right now, there's so much building going on and, and um, so many people doing so much right now. I do, I do a lot of work for a lot of contractors and everybody's behind. But once I get on site, it's typically a three to four days job. And in there again, it's also according to how deep it ends up going. I mean, we've got places, you know, the south of us that we'll drill a four or 500 foot hole, but that's going to take a week or better. And, uh, you know, sometimes I'll go in if it's going to be a shallower well. I can be, you know, a day and a half, two days, but typical is three to four days. Gotcha. And thinking about that, you know, once you decide you're ready to do this, what goes into the process of selecting a site to put this well? Because, I mean, I can walk out there and say, that's where I want it. But are you going to look at that and say, well, that may be where you want it, but it's, it's going to be better to put it somewhere else? Or, you know, also thinking about a lot of times folks, especially with like cabins and camps and things of that nature, is they want to get that well in. It's one of the first things they want to do. They want to get power and they want to get water. And then maybe down the line, they're going to build that cabin. Right now, they may just be using a camp, you know, campers and things of that nature. Is site selection actually like the exact site selection a big deal? Or can you get away with uh, being just about anywhere, say, in a given area? And to add on to that, does it matter? Is that affected by whether or not you're on sewer or you have a septic set up? Because I imagine you don't want to be too close to your septic lines with your well because that, that stink in the water might not be the sulfur, the iron at that point. <laughs> Great point. It does matter. I mean, we're, we're licensed through the state in Georgia and Alabama, and both states require you to be 100 foot from any septic field lines and, okay. 50, and 50 foot from the tank. So that's the driving force bottom line. And it's also got to do with terrain. I mean, I've got to set up a, you know, a good size drill rig and I have to level that thing up so I can't drill it on the side of a hill or, you know, right up against a bank or that sort of thing. It takes, you know, it takes the room it takes for, you know, for a drill rig and a water truck. And, you know, it's a pretty big operation. Uh, you know, the footprint in the end is not that big, but us to get, you know, get that is, is pretty good size operation. Uh, I would say to people that's, you know, going to build a cabin down the road. I mean, bottom line is you got to get a perk test done. You got to find out if you're ever planning on putting something there, you got to know where your ground perks at, 
you know, there may be one place on a, on a given property that perks. And if you drill your well in that area, then it's going to cost you a lot more money to do a, a septic system because you're going to have to have a raised system and a, an engineered system and that sort of thing. So it's always good to find out where your ground perks at. I got a random question for you, Heath. What is a bad day for Heath Davis? Like, is it finding something that you're drilling through that's going to be super hard or breaking a drill bit? I'm just curious as to what are some of the biggest problems that you have to overcome as a well driller? Uh, that, that's <laughs> only that's, that's every day. I mean, <laughs> if, if I wanted something easy, I would do something else, uh-huh. obviously. Um, yeah, there's always problems that we come across. I mean, you know, we'll set up to drill a well and thinking, you know, we've got whenever we drill a granite rock well, we have to drill down to the rock uh, and we have to set case in, in the rock. And sometimes that process is pretty, it's always different. You never know exactly what you're going to get. And uh, sometimes that process can be pretty tough. I mean, blowing mud everywhere and, you know, you just got to sit in there and take it or whatever. But um, yeah, they, they something all the time. I mean, all the equipment that we've got, I mean, there's, you know, we've got trucks to do all sort, you know, sort of jobs. And, you know, my wife asked me, why do y'all need all those trucks? I mean, <laughs> I mean, you don't never, you know, it's not something that we use every day, but when you need it, you need it. And, That's uh, right. you know, the maintenance on the trucks and keeping stuff up and, you know, you need a truck, you go out and get it and it's not, it's not working like you need it to. And, you know, just, it's just something all the time, but, um, you know, like I said, obviously I've been doing this a long time, so I've gotten I've gotten a little better at it, maybe I guess. Right. Sounds like a big job, Joe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, no doubt. What's the coolest thing you've ever had come from down deep and up to the surface? Uh we was drilling in a in an area a few years ago and the, the rock is different colors down low. And I mean according to what you're drilling. Most of the time we drill in granite rock and it's like a bluish gray color or whatever. But in this particular area we were drilling along and and uh the cuttings that were, you know, whatever we're drilling comes out, we're using air, compressed air to blow this, mm-hmm. this stuff out. And we were drilling along and all of a sudden the stuff turned to a flaky metallic gold color. You know, we're like, Hey, what is this? This looks like <laughs> gold. This looks like gold. I was going, I was going, I was going to offer the property owner some money and just you know, not tell him what I had found. But you know, as it turned out, it was not gold, but it looked, I cut probably 200 foot of just nothing, but just a gold colored flaky stuff that wow. come out. So my dad was drilling in an area one time. I think he was 1400 foot. And he got a seashell come, popped up full intact about the size of double hands wow. popped up from 1400 foot. Yeah. Um, we all, um, shark's teeth, you know, all, all kind of stuff like that we'll get from, from down hundred foot, cool. 200 foot. And, you know, that's certain places. That's what, that's a norm that we'll find that stuff. But you don't see a lot of that stuff because it grinds up a lot of it, but every right. once in a while you'll see intact stuff come up and it's kind of, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Very cool, man. All right, guys, let's take a quick break. Don't forget about our sponsors and make sure you support them when you're out in the marketplace. This week's show is brought to you by Bucks Island Marine. At BucksIsland.com, you can check out the full list of inventory from new and used bass, pontoon, and bow rider style boats, new and used motors, as well as kayaks. They love trade-ins, which provides a steady stream of used boats, and they can rig your boat at their 18-bay service department or ship your new motor anywhere in the United States. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. They have factory trained and certified technicians, so visit them at 4500 Highway 77 in Southside, Alabama, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. 
and also Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks are proud to be your metal roofing headquarters for over 40 years. Save time and money by buying from the most reliable manufacturer on the Gulf Coast. If you buy it today, you pick it up today. They offer 20 Sherwin-Williams colors to choose from and a 40-year warranty. Baker Metal and Dixie Supply, two names, same great service. With the addition of their new store in Cantonment, Florida, they now have eight locations to serve you. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks, your metal roofing headquarters. So he, let's go back to what you were saying about, you know, we're talking about pumps and you were mentioning that, you know, a lot of times you, there's going to be service that has to be done. People call you and they say, Hey, I, I got a problem. Can you come see what's going on? So let, let's talk about what the, the service is actually like. So if, if you're going to drill a well, what, what services are included in that contract and what maybe what services should be included in your mind? Well, I mean, basically on a, a normal normal deal, we'll come out, we'll drill the well, uh, your, your well's included, the pump, the tank, the controls, everything to, to a, a ball valve that we'll provide. Everything is up to that point with what we provide for our, our end. And, you know, the customer is usually usually has to provide the electric electricity to get out to the well and, uh, you know, hook their plumbing in to go to where they want to go. I mean, certain cases we'll do that kind of stuff for an extra, you know, extra money. But typically, you know, we just drill the well, put in the components for the well, and, and usually we're out and the customer is responsible for the rest of it. Gotcha. You know, one of the things too is we, as we've been going through the series, a lot of folks, because of the remoteness of their cabin, things of that nature, they're, they're looking at going off the grid. You know, they're either going to use a battery bank with backup generators or solar panels or wind power. There's a lot of different ways you can accomplish it. But if you're dealing with a situation like that, does that change the way that you guys would, would design that well? If you're dealing with say a maybe lower voltage than you would be if you're hooked up to normal utilities, have you had experience drilling for somebody that's kind of trying to do it off grid? Uh, we have, and we get, and, you know, be honest, we get more calls about that than we actually do. Uh, it's extremely expensive at this point. We've done solar. We put in some solar wells in different parts of the state for uh, Tuskegee University, different, you know, different government situations. We put in some solar stuff that they're paying. It's like I said, it's extremely expensive at this point to do the solar. I mean, there's still some people that's doing it, but you know, once they find out the cost, it's not as you know as effective as it would be. Right. We're putting in a lot. We're putting in a lot of hand pumps. Uh, we get calls about a lot of hand pumps. Hand pumps are a lot more expensive than you would think. Hmm. And then when people find out about how much they cost, they like, well, we probably won't do that. But I mean, you get calls about that kind of stuff a lot. But mostly, it's just conventional electric situation. I mean, you can set up in a in a uh, off-grid type situation with a generator is usually the best thing to, to use for power right. other than uh, conventional power. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of our, you know, a lot of folks, some of the things we've learned so far, you know, a lot of people are using a battery bank to, to power their, their cabin, their 12 volt system. And then they use a backup generator to charge that battery bank in a lot mm -hmm. of cases. And so yeah. that, that could be a good marriage of the two technologies that could still allow you to run that pump whenever you needed to. And, you know, some people are actually pumping that water up and then having it in like a cistern type situation where that gives them the flow they need and that kind of thing. So when, when you start this process with somebody, do you have to go, is it a site visit before you can provide an estimate to somebody? Are you going to look at their specific situation or is it kind of pretty standard based on, you know, a, a geographical area? Right. 
Well, when, when, a, when a customer calls me, uh, first thing I do, I talk to them on the phone. I assess their needs, find out where they're located, and uh, then we'll start the process from there. Like I said, most of the time, I've already drilled in the area. I know what's there. I can get a ballpark estimate on what it's going to run. I mean, ultimately, it is, is a by-the-foot cost. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we're set up, and we have a base cost down to a certain foot footage. And then after that, it's it's by the foot, and uh, you know some other well drillers do strictly by the foot. We all do something a little bit different, but in the the bottom line, it usually gets to the same place. Mm-hmm. But you know that's what I find I find out where you're located, and, and I can give a good estimate on most of the time if it's in my area because I know what we've done close by, and I know you know what it's going to take to get a well there. The, the, the rock situation where we have to drill in the granite rock, that's a little bit more iffy because, you know, you really don't ever know. You just basically have to set up and drill in that rock until you find, you know, adequate water. And, and then that point, I'm usually with the customer. I'm saying, hey, you've got X amount of gallons per minute. You know, I can stop whenever because they're paying, you know, they're paying by the foot on that. And I can stop whenever you say stop or, you know, or I can give you my recommendations of, Hey, I think you need to go another 40 foot or another 60 foot to, you know, to make the well work the best that it can work. But ultimately it's the customer's call on, on how deep we end up going in some cases. And in other areas that we've got, I mean, you don't have to go to this depth no matter what. And I usually know what that depth is, you know, within 20 or 40 foot because we've done ones close, you know, close by. And, um, so that's usually the process that we go far as for giving somebody an estimate. And I'll, and I'll give people ballpark figures. And that's usually what people, they, they just want a ballpark. They want to know where some people has no idea. They, you know, I'll tell them a price and they'll say, oh, I thought it was a whole lot more. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, they, they just want a ballpark. They want to know where they're at. And a lot of people are in the design phase. They, they're trying to, they're getting their ducks in a row. How much is it going to cost for my septic? How much is it going to cost for my well? And, and they just want a base cost is what they yeah, want. It's for an overall budget. Exactly. Are there situations where you look at a site and you say, well, you need two wells, you know, given your demands or the distance between buildings or what have you, uh, is there kind of a benchmark for when you'd say you need more than one well? Uh, usually on that is, is what you're going to use the well for. I mean, a lot of times I'll go out to large property owners and they're talking about one well for, you know, say a, a 2,000 acre track. And I'm like, well, right. you're going to spend more money running water lines to X location. Mm-hmm. You know, your best be to you know, put another well at that location and have more than one well. A lot of times we'll go out and there's multiple families building on a piece of property and they want one well for one, uh, for two or three houses. And, you know, sometimes that's not the best option. Sometimes it's better to go on and, you know, drill a well for every, you know, every house. And, you know, mortgage companies require a water source for every, every house. So that situation a lot of times answers itself. You have to have one for, or multiple wells for different people. You know, if, if the, the lots are lighted up and needed off different people. You know, speaking of that, you know, you're talking about how you're going to end up spending more money running water than you would just drilling another well. And I find myself falling into that trap in all kinds of different areas of life. You know, it's like, oh, I think I got a good idea to save some money. And then there's some corner you can't see around that you're like, oh, I didn't think about the fact that's going to cost this in that other area. <laughs> so mm-hmm. when it comes to, to drilling a well, 
you know, what are some of the mistakes you see made? And not only maybe in the actual drilling of well, but also in maybe you're going out and fixing problems that have been caused somewhere else, but also mistakes in planning, you know, like, like what you just mentioned, they say, I'm going to drill one well, and we're going to power all three houses, you know, everybody's going to have water off of that. Uh, and that's not the reality. So other than those examples you gave us, are there any other mistakes you see people making in, in their planning or in the actual implementation of drilling a well? Um, not, not a lot other than what I've, I've mentioned. I mean, a lot of, a lot of times I'll, I'll debunk a lot of these ideas whenever I, I'm, you know, after I initially contact, they contact me, we're, you know, we're in communication, they ask a lot of questions. And before we drill, I'll usually go out again and we'll look at and assess what they're trying to do and offer my recommendations. And usually by the time we're, it's all said and done, those mistakes are not made. I mean, a lot of times I have seen mistakes done for us for, you know, the plumbing issues and that sort of thing back to, you know, running to smaller water line. That's, that's one of the key things that people do. They, they don't realize the size of the water line really, really makes a, a difference. Yeah. You know, a lot of times people are choosing whether to go with a well or county water or city water or whatever. You know, a lot of times they go with the county water and they're back off the road, you know, half a mile and they're spending majority of their time fixing water lines between point A and point B. And, you know, and after a while they say, well, I'm just going, you know, they'll call me and say, I just want to get a well. I'm tired of doing this. And that's one of the mistakes I see a lot of times, hmm. you know, I've got to set, you know, they ask me, I, if you're anything over eight, 900 foot, most cases a well is the best option rather than running water line from, from the, you know, the County. Gotcha. Well, it brings me kind of to wrap this up and that's, again thinking about once that well is in and like we're talking about some of the issues that can happen you get calls a lot of times to go out and fix problems that that occur what kind of guarantees what kind of warranties are are there if you're drilling a well and and then also on the service side of things like you know what what should we be prepared for in terms of service and and i think that's going to be one of the awesome things about contacting somebody that's local to you not only because they know those those you know geological that, that geological information they didn't know, but also I would imagine there that's going to be somebody that you can continue to help after the well is in. Yeah. I mean, most of the time when they're, whenever we're done, we give a, the, the factory has a warranty for the parts that we use and we back those, those factory warranties up in our case, you know, mostly three to five years on, on the factory stuff, according to what it is. Uh, we have a one year labor warranty. Uh, so everything's covered for a year. I have very few labor problems or, or warranty problems, you know, that I have to cover because I use, I typically try to use the best materials that I think are out there. I don't use cheap stuff to cut prices. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give you what I think is the best thing. And either this is my price and you're going to either want me to do it or not do it. And then, you know, I kind of live by that and it's, it's worked out real well for me. You know, we do come out after the fact and, you know, down the road and, you know, like I said, I want you to be satisfied with what you've, got what you paid for so i want what the materials that we put in i want to last as long as i can so we do certain things then we try to make things better for the customer that sometimes they don't see i mean you know how we tape our wire how we put our our pump in we do we do a lot of things that that's going to make that stuff last longer when you know sometimes we didn't have to but we still do it Gotcha. Uh, that's good. That's good advice because if you if you do end up maybe shopping, getting several quotes, 
I, I'm actually these these days especially I'm more suspect of the really low quote than exactly. I am. Uh, you know, I, I want to because if exactly. somebody's giving me a much lower quote, I'm going to start asking some questions. Saying, All right, right. How, how are they able to do it cheaper than them? And like you said, it may be it, it's inferior parts, and a lot of times that cheaper option ends up costing you more yeah. over the life of the of the ownership. You know, so, doubt. yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, look at look at Joe's haircut. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one more question. Uh, I think we've covered it yet. If you're start, you know, a lot of our clients start off small to try to kind of either they're on a budget driven or they're just not real sure yet where exactly they want their camp. So they start with a camper or something like that. They come in and they're going to take that process. We're going to stay in a camper for a couple of years or, or a barn dominium, small one, something like that, and then upgrade later. Are there things they need to plan ahead for with that? Or will one will, as long as you're within reach of it, like we discussed, do the job from camper all the way to a, you know, a normal reasonable size lodge. Yeah. I mean, we always talk about that to begin with, you know, in our initial meeting, I mean, what, what is your plan? So do you have long-term plans here? And, and a lot of times people tell me up front, Hey, this is just a hunting cabin. I'm up here from Florida. I'll be here for, you know, during hunting season two or three times. Then eventually they'll say in the conversation, they'll say, well, we may build a house up here and move up here one day. Right. Well, I'm saying, do you want to go ahead and, and set Plan this situation for up for that? And there again, you have to go back to the deal about a perk test, where you're going to build a house in a small area. You know, a lot of people just clear out enough room just to build a cabin and they don't have a lot of room. Right. Are you planning on building a pole barn over in this area at some point? I mean, if you drill the well there, you can't build a pole barn there. So you got to have the customer think about what they're going to do you know, ahead of time before they make a decision that they're going to regret later. And you kind of, my job is to kind of help those guys choose those places. You know, what's best for me? I mean, a lot of times I can't, can't drill in a certain area because it's unlevel or, or whatever. I have to, I have to set up a place that's good for them and going to be good for them in the long term, plus a place that I can get in and drill and we can do what we need to do. Well, and, and, all, and, and also a lot of times you got to think about at some point I'm going to have to work on this thing. Right. So Got to be accessible. Don't, don't, don't build it in your backyard where I have no access to it. Let, let's, mm. let's, uh, let's drill the well out here where we can pull right off the driveway. And we think about that. I think about that a lot it, where a customer necessarily wouldn't think about it. So it's my job to convey those concerns to them. Heath, I've learned a lot from you today, but if there's one thing I've learned from you is that you can really help people see around corners. These are a bunch of stuff that you've told me today that I, I wouldn't have thought about. I'd just kind of been like, that looks like a good spot for the well. And, you know, I hadn't really given thought to the fact that it's going to need to be strategically placed, not only for, you know, putting the well in and where it's going to be in relation to the cabin, but also so that you can get in there and, and put it in and then get in there and service it at some point or somebody can get in there and work on it. I know that we've answered a bunch of questions that a lot of people have, but I also know that people have their own questions. And if they're in your area and they want to reach out to you and, and maybe talk about their specific situation, uh, what they're what they're trying to do and, and where they are and those types of things, what's the best way to, to reach out to you, get in touch and, and kind of start this process? Well, I mean, you can reach us at our landline, which is 334-855-0302. And that, that starts the process. So we've got a Facebook page. Uh, we've got, um, you know, we've got a website. 
all the normal ways that you can get through people. Typically a phone book and, you know, directories are not a thing anymore. So you, you know, Google us, there's several, all the normal avenues to get to us, you can get to us. And, uh, you know, we're not, we're not extremely hard to find. So we try to make it easier for people to find us and, and do a lot of the technology stuff to, for that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, like I said, we definitely appreciate you sharing your years and years and family history of knowledge as far as drilling wells go. And uh, I think this is going to be a valuable thing for a lot of people listening. Appreciate you joining us. I appreciate, appreciate you having me, guys. Thanks, Heath. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Guys, let's take a quick break and hear from this week's sponsors. The Hunting Exchange. In this day and age, we all know it is a struggle to sell hunting equipment on large social media platforms. And that's where The Hunting Exchange steps in. The Hunting Exchange is an app for iOS and Android that gives you a one-stop shop to buy and sell your hunting gear. Whether you're looking to sell your bow, broadheads, technical apparel, stands, saddles, or anything in between, this secure platform allows you to buy and sell gear with confidence. As a buyer, each dollar you spend is insured by PayPal. And as a seller, there are no hidden charges like other platforms. And listing items is also free. Gone are the days of having listings removed from Facebook and worrying about being banned and removed from groups for wanting to sell something as simple as your bow or knives. So head on over to the App Store or Google Play and experience a new hassle-free way to buy and sell hunting gear by downloading the Hunting Exchange app today. Guys, I learned a lot today. Specifically, the thing I really took away from this is that we probably should have covered dealing with wastewater, whether that's a septic tank or some of the alternative options that are out there for dealing with with waste before we covered drilling a well. Uh, Based on what Heath was saying about, you know, having that perk test done and you may be limited on where you should put your septic tank if you're going to use a septic tank. And where you put that septic tank is going to somewhat determine where you put that well. So if you go in and you just put your well down, you may be putting it where you needed to put your septic tank and, and get yourself into a bind. Sounds like it. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, you know, like I said earlier, I think also, though, if you just reach out to somebody local who knows what they're doing, they could help you catch that before you make that mistake. So, you know, yeah. a, good, a good well driller is going to ask you those kind of questions and, uh, and hopefully prevent you from having that, that issue. Yeah. How about you, I would guy? agree, man. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty much what I learned is call somebody that has experience. I mean, how many, there's no telling how many wells that guy's been a part of digging. Just going back to something that I know, if you come on a charter boat with a 2500 series spinning reel, I can pretty much tell you you're about to get destroyed. Yeah. Uh, so kind of seeing around corners, just being experienced, you know, doing that every day. Heath's kind of the same way. You know, he's going to be able to tell you, uh, you need to start with a septic or, or you know, any, any of the above things that we talked about that he was talking about seeing around corners and there's no substitute for experience on something like that. Yeah. And I mean, that's on the planning side, but, you know, also not having to deal with the frustrations. I mean, a lot of, uh, a lot of times, all of us, I don't know, maybe I'm speaking for too many people. Myself, I, I look for the most economical way to do something. And to me, the most economical way in my head a lot of times is what the upfront cost is. But the reality is the real economics of it is what it costs you over the life of ownership. And, and to as own we and learn, operate. Yeah, I mean, as we learn, if you don't, you don't think about the future, you, you know, you're thinking, all right, we're going to put a camper here now, but you know, maybe in 15 years, we're going to retire here and build, build a more substantial structure. Well, you may be having to redo something that you could have gotten right in the first place and might've cost you a little more up front, but it's going to cost you less over time. Uh, it's just all the more reason to go to the professionals and, uh, and reach out to somebody local if you're thinking about drilling a well. So 
that's going to wrap it up today, guys. We appreciate you joining us. All right. Appreciate you joining us. We want to make it easy for you to listen. So here's a handy option for you. To get the podcast emailed to you each week, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. Again, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. You'll join our email list. And wherever you are listening to podcasts, go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. Send us a written review. We'd love to hear from you. If you got a show topic, that you are interested in and like to see us cover, just email us at pros at landhunting.com. That's going to do it for us. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next time. This week's Hunt Land Show is brought to you by Alabama Farmers Co-op. Alabama Farmers Cooperative has been serving gardeners, farmers, and everyone in between for 85 years. Visit www.alafarm.com for more information and to find a co-op near you. And also brought to you by Fatanas Defense. The Fatanas Defense PD Pro Ultralight Ultra Compact Night Vision System. Simply the best in class night vision systems ever built. Contact FatanasDefense.com to learn more. Fatanas Defense, Masters of Darkness. And also brought to you by United Bank. United Bank supports our farmers with financial products and services designed specifically for agribusiness. United Bank is building stronger communities every day. All loans subject to credit approval, equal housing opportunity lender, member FDIC. And also brought to you by Boaters List. Boaters List is your new reliable and fast resource designed to link everyone to everything on the water. Locate anything from fuel docks, service repairs, or rentals of large yachts, all the way down to paddle boards, and all things in between. BoatersList.com will always strive to make it better on the water. And also, Great Days Outdoors, the South's finest hunting and fishing magazine. Pick up your copy wherever magazines are sold or check them out at greatdaysoutdoors.com.